Like I said, we're finishing up this series today, More Than a Rut. If you uh, have been with us for a few weeks, you know uh, what this is all about. If you're new with us, what we have basically been doing for the past five weeks, today's the sixth week, is we've been talking about what kind of church Christ Church Camden is. That we are an independent Christian church. We're not part of a, denom- a larger denomination. We're an independent church. And we've been kind of dissecting our services on a Sunday morning and, and what exactly happens during that 70-minute that service and uh, what we do and why we do what we do, okay? And, uh, and, and, and just looking at all those different things and then also just talking about how every single piece that we, uh, of everything that we do within a service holds huge potential to become nothing more than a rut. So we've talked about why we sing songs, why we take communion every single week, why we baptize, specifically why we baptize by immersion, uh, why we pray, why, why last week we talked about why we teach, our philosophy on, on this message time should be a combination of teaching and preaching that's information and inspiration together all as, as one. And all of this holds potential to become nothing more than a rut. And we've said every single Sunday, God deserves from you and me much, much more than a rut. There's one thing we haven't spoken about that takes place within our services on a Sunday morning, and it applies to every church out there. Doesn't matter the church, doesn't matter the denomination, doesn't matter how big the church is, what style of service the church uh, has, uh, does it at their church. Every single church has this. And most pastors, I don't mind this, this is one of my favorite topics to teach about actually. Most pastors dread it. It's a topic of Nobody knows? Money, right? It's a topic of of money. I love talking about this um, because I believe that this topic of money, if you get this right and you start managing God's money God's way, it will affect and infect every other area of your life. I want to challenge maybe your perspective today and maybe submit to you a little, just a slight paradigm shift in your thinking when it comes to money. And I would say it like this, that money is not the cause, money is the cure. Money is not the cause, money is the cure. Now when I say this, depending on who you are, if we had time and we just went around the room and everybody just shared, what do you think of that? I, I, my, my, what I would anticipate is that we would get all kinds of different Thoughts, because depending on who you are and where you are at in your life, in your financial situation, you're going to interpret this in all kinds of different ways. And you're going to say, eh, I don't know about that. I agree. I don't agree. That sort of thing. Let me explain to you what's going through my mind and my heart when I say money is not the cause, money is the cure. Money is not the cause, first and foremost. For most, I dare not say all, but for most of us, money is not the cause of financial problems in our lives. Money is what we see on the surface. It appears as though that's the problem, but there's really a deeper issue going on inside of our head, inside of our heart. In fact, the Bible records the words of Jesus when he said that the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money in and of itself. Money is amoral in and of itself. It's neither good nor bad. It's how we treat. It's our perception. It's what we do with the money Uh, that ends up getting us in trouble. Therefore, money is not the cause. Money is the cure. Now, you might read that and be like, yeah, it is. If I had some more, all of my financial problems would be taken care of, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about getting more money, that money is the cure. When I say money is the cure, I'm talking about giving more money. See, God created you and me to be generous people. And what what is amazing is that in his word, in the Bible, 
He doesn't leave that for you and me to define. He doesn't say, okay, this is a gray area. However generous you feel like being, you be generous. He's actually defined it really, really well for us in his word. And that's what I want to break open today. If you got your Bible, you can turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. Gospel of Luke chapter 12. You can also open up your Christchurch Camden app on your uh, phone. If you got that, click on the uh, link that says teaching notes and the whole outline will pop up there and all the passages that I'm going to use. You can fill in the blanks and email it to yourself, take some notes, that, that sort of thing. In this passage, it appears as though Jesus is teaching a larger crowd of people and, and it appears as though he's interrupted. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, if I'm standing up here and somebody starts heckling me, you know, or somebody just interrupts and asks a question, I'm probably going to be a little irritated. And I'm not going to tell you the tone, to, you know, of, of how to read the, the word, you know, because you can read like, like, I wonder what his tone of voice was when he asked that and what he, when he said that and different. I'm not going to tell you how to read. I'm just going to tell you this is how I read it. Okay. This is how I kind of hear it in my head. I think Jesus was a little irritated. <laughs> by this question. And so he's teaching along, and here's what happens in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, does that not seem a little random? And, and like, dude, where's your manners, right? At least say please, <laughs> you know? I mean, he doesn't ask. He, he basically commands Jesus, hey, you are obviously a man of authority. Would you take care of this for me? Why would he even ask him to do that? I think of a uh, it's a few chapters after this is the story of the prodigal son, if you're familiar with that. That's, that's the story where, where the son goes to the father and says, Dad, I know you're not dead yet, but I still want my, my share of the estate. Can I have that? Because I want to go off and, and have some fun in life, basically. You know, I think of Judas, who turned Jesus in to the officials to be crucified, all for 30 pieces of silver. Why? Why would people, why would people do that? Do you ever ask yourself questions like that? And I can only think of a couple of, of reasons. One, he just loves stuff. He just wants more, just wants more money, wants to go buy more stuff, wants more material possessions, whatever it is. Or maybe he's dug himself into a financial pit of some sort and he needs it. I don't know. We don't know. But, but to me, at least the way I read this, Jesus is kind of irritated because he replies, he says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Can you, can you sense the irritation? And then in the very next verse, here's what I love. Jesus totally throws the guy under the bus. I don't know if you've ever, ever read that, if you ever noticed this, right? There's all these people, and, and then Jesus says to them, so he's addressing the whole crowd, but what he says is, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Can you see him just kind of give him the eye as he says that? Be on your guard because all kinds of greed, you know, just throws them under the bus. And, and then Jesus says, life does not consist and an abundance of possessions. In other words, you and I, we need to seek simplicity. If we are going to keep money from, be, from taking root in our hearts, the love of money, we have to seek simplicity. Now, I, I want to tread carefully here, lightly, because what I do not want is anybody walking out of here today seeing Pastor Scotty said basically that I need to live a life of poverty that I should not have things, that I shouldn't have nice things, nice stuff in my lives, uh, my life, my, my possessions, my whatever it is. And I want you to understand, hear me, that's not what I'm saying, okay? I like nice stuff just as much as the next person. I do. I like to have a nice, great, big honking TV at home that I can watch the Colts on, you know, in the fall. I, 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 I like nice, nice stuff. The problem is when the nice stuff takes root in our hearts, 
That's when we get in trouble, y'all. And so we have to seek simplicity. And the problem with this is we're not naturally, most of us are not naturally simple people, are we? We're, we're not. Our, our natural tendency is to make things as difficult as possible. That's why we have so much drama in our lives, in our relationships, in our marriages, our families, in our churches, at homes, at our workplaces, wherever it is. We are not simple people. We blow things completely out of proportion. Now, let me give you a very tangible, practical step that you can take that will help you seek simplicity, okay? It's a question you ask yourself. It's not in your notes. You might want to write it down. And I'm, going to be, I'm just going to be totally honest with you. When I, when I tell you this question, you're going to be like, that's so elementary, dude, you know? Like, you already know this, in fact. Just let me remind you of this. The problem, though, is that when we ask ourselves this question, we're not really honest with ourselves, okay? We, 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 have, we have the tendency to kind of fudge things. We have the tendency to justify things. And you have to ask yourself this question. Do I want this? Do I need this? Do I just want it or do I need it? We have to define the difference between want and need, and then you have to be disciplined enough to accept the honest answer to that question. Because like I said, most of the time, a lot of times in our lives, it's not a need, it's more of a want. But you know what? I flip it over, I flip the coin over, and I justify it, and I make it, I, I merge, I put both of those. Want, it's a want and a need, right? I put it all together. I fudge the truth just a little bit, Right? There's, there's something inside of us. There's this psychological aspect in our heads and our hearts. We just like to buy stuff. Are you like that? Like, I feel good. I feel good when I buy something nice, you know? I feel better about myself. And, and, and it's easy to get addicted to that sometimes, that feeling sometimes. Like, like I want this specific house. I mean, have you heard about uh, how people talk about, about me knowing that I live in that house in that neighborhood right there? You know, I want, I want this more expensive car. Have you, have you seen how, how people look at me when I drive down the road driving this specific car? I don't have that problem with my Volkswagen Passat piece of junk, but you know, I, I want this. I, I want the biggest TV. That's me, okay? I want the biggest TV. All my buddies always want to come to my house to watch the game because I got the biggest TV. It's all of these things, this stuff, and we, here's the danger. We begin to find our value, and we begin to find our identity in our stuff, and as soon as you begin to find your value and your identity in your stuff, once that feeling wears off, you got to go get another fix. You got to go get something else. You got to go get more stuff so that you can feel special about yourself again. Friends, we have to begin to find our identity in who we are as a child of God, as a daughter, as a son of God, who we are rather than in what we own. It's not about the stuff that we own. The Apostle Paul wrote uh, at one point in time while he is in prison. And what he wrote, the words that he penned while he's in prison is pretty, pretty amazing. He said this, he says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I have learned the secret of being content. He is in prison 
when he's writing that word. And you need to understand, prison then ain't nothing like it is today. Prison in ancient times, so he most likely would have been underground. He would have been in a cave maybe somewhere. He, he, he would not have seen daylight for days and days, maybe weeks and weeks and weeks. He would have been chained to another guard right beside him 24 hours a day. And on top of all of that, he would have fully expected for other guards to walk in at any moment to escort him away to be executed. And yet, he can say, hmm, I'm good. I got all I could ever want. Anything I could ever need, I got it. That's simplicity. If you're going to ever be able to live a life full of joy and true happiness, it is not going to be found in your stuff. And then Jesus goes on and he begins to, to share this story. It's a parable, which is just a, a story. And he says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Are you noticing the repetition? Did you hear it in how I read the passage? I went through and counted this. There may be more. I only did it one time. Uh, but I counted 11 different references to me, myself, and I in this parable. This man that is represented in the story had no margin in his life whatsoever to consider the needs of anybody else other than himself. He had no margin to be generous towards anybody else's life. And as a result, he grew complacent. We have to stray away from, we have to run away from complacency in our lives. Away from eat, drink, and be merry. La, la, la. It's all good. Friends, complacency can set in your life. It can set in, in us as a church. And, and the thing is, it's it's, it's not one of those things that just, bam, it just happens overnight and you wake up the next morning and realize, oh, I'm complacent. No, no, no. It's one of those things that happens bit by bit by bit, step by step by step. And you don't even realize what is going on. I had the opportunity to serve uh, with a, a small country church years and years and years ago. I was just an associate pastor. I wasn't the lead pastor there. And, and uh, first got there and, and just noticed their, the people's language uh, how, how they said with their words, we want to be a better church. We want to grow. We want to reach our community for Christ, right? We, we want to do all of this. There's needs around the church. We need to fix the facility. We need equipment. All this equipment up on stage was, was breaking down, and we need stuff that, that can work. We know this. But every single one of those statements followed, you know what it followed with? A big old butt. Like there was always a big old butt in the room, y'all. It was always, we want to grow, but we want to reach the lost, but we want to fix our campus, but, and it was always, the big old but was always, we don't have the money for it. We're too poor. And then I found out about six months after that, I had no idea about this. I'm just a little peon in the church, right? I found out about six months after that, they were sitting on a savings account of over $300,000 just sitting there. 
Don't hear me wrong. I'm all for saving up for a rainy day, y'all, okay? I'm all for that. I mean, we, we got to have money in the savings account if the building needs a new roof, you know, or, or uh, we get struck by lightning. We get struck by lightning all the time here, you know, and stuff fries and, and everything. If uh, AC goes out or for, for you, if somebody gets sick or the car breaks down or whatever it is, I'm all for saving for a rainy day. You got to have the rainy day fund. But this was excess. And the reason why it continued to grow in their savings account was because they had grown complacent. They had gotten comfortable with the big old butt in the room is where they were at. We have to run from complacency in our lives because complacency will suck. It will suck every last drop of generosity out of your life. It will squelch any desire that you've ever had to look out for other people, to help other people, to look, just to look beyond yourself. This makes you focus on me, myself, and I. And here's what's scary. God's stance uh, uh, upon complacency is really harsh, y'all. I mean, it's, it's serious. In fact, Jesus goes on and he says this in verse 20 and 21. He says, God said to him, you fool. That's, that's intense right there, Okay. First of all, God's talking to you. Secondly, it's not really good what he's saying to you. You're a fool, dude. You're a fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I read God's word, I ask a lot of questions a lot of times. Uh, because things just don't read a lot of times like, like I would talk in the year 2018, right? I wouldn't necessarily say things this same way. And so I ask myself a lot of times, what is that talking about? What does that mean? Why, why would he say that that way? And I got stuck on this down here of being rich toward God. What does that mean? What does that look like to be rich toward God? This is what I think it looks like. It's striving for generosity in our lives. It's striving for generosity. Now here's the problem with this third point. Generosity for somebody over here might look completely different in comparison to what generosity looks like for somebody over here. And that may look completely different of how generosity might look like to me. Because generosity is different. However, God still defines generosity for us. There's a story in the Bible where uh, Jesus is at the temple and all these people are walking in and they're throwing their offerings in the temple treasury. All these rich people coming in and tossing in these monstrous loads of money, right, into the temple treasury. And this woman comes in and she's got two little coins. She's got two copper coins. What we know is that at that time, those two copper coins were the smallest of the Roman coin. Okay, it'd be kind of like our pennies today. And what do you do with pennies? Most people don't save them. They just give them away. Whatever. I mean, they're worthless. What are you going to do with two pennies, right? Can't even get a piece of gum in the bubblegum machine anymore for a penny. Not going to build a building with two pennies. What are you going to do with that, right? She brings in two pennies. And Jesus saw that, and he turns around to his disciples, and he says, look. Look at this. Today, I want you to understand that this woman's offering is much, 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 much greater than any of those throwing in their monstrous, huge offerings into the temple treasury. Why? Because she gave out of a generous heart. 
And everybody else gave out of an obligation. They gave out of a responsibility. Friends, we have to strive for generosity in our lives. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, here's what it looks like. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. What does that mean, first fruit of all your crops? Does that mean that all I got to do is give God whatever I grow in my garden? Keep in mind, this was for them in ancient times. Today, your crop is your paycheck, okay? Your first fruit would be the very first part of it. So, so before I buy a soda, before I fill up my gas tank, before I get groceries, before I pay the mortgage or the rent, whatever it is, I am honoring God as the provider of my paycheck in my life. Now, this, this takes a, a, a little, again, a little paradigm shift in our thinking, just our mindset, our perspective, knowing that I have a job, because I have the talent, the ability, the expertise to be able to do the job, right? But the only reason that I have the expertise and the ability to do the job is because God gave me the ability and the expertise to do the job. And the only reason he gave me that was because he created me in the first place. Therefore, every single paycheck that I receive is directly from God. It is a blessing from God. And God says, here's all I want you to do. I just want you to honor me, recognize me as the one who has provided, who has given you this paycheck. Because if you don't, you are going to grow so complacent, so apathetic in your life. And generosity is the thing that cures apathy. It cures apathy. And the more you're generous, the more you reach out and try to help other people, the more you see them, the more you see lives being transformed and changed because of your generosity, the more generous that you want to be. It's just that circle. It's the way God works in our hearts. But here's where we get stuck. A lot of times we get stuck in the hamster wheel. You know what I'm talking about? We get in the wheel and we're just going, 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 going. Our legs are just moving and moving and moving as fast as they can. And how far do we get? We don't get anywhere, do we? It's like you go to the gym and you get on the treadmill and you're running and running and running and running and running and you finally finish. And at the end, where are you? How far have you really traveled? And the display might tell you that you've traveled three miles, but when you step off of the treadmill, you're still in exactly the same spot that you began in, Right? There's this, there's this concept, this philosophy out there that's called the hedonic treadmill. And it's basically this, that as a person makes more money, expectations and desires rise in tandem, which result in no permanent gain in happiness. In other words, it, it, it's, it's this. We're ha over halfway through the year. January's going to be here before we know it. Maybe, hopefully, maybe I'll get a raise at the, at the beginning of the year. Man, if I could just get a 3% raise, man, a lot of my financial problems could be taken care of with just that little bit of money. I mean, bit by bit by bit, I can, I can dig myself out of the, the financial pit that I've dug myself into. But here's what happens. We get to January, we get the 3% raise, right? And then rather than putting that towards the financial pit that I've dug myself into, I put it towards raising my lifestyle. That's the, that's the treadmill. That's the hamster wheel that we're running in over and over and over and over and over again. And the result is apathy. It's complacency. We get nowhere in life. I'm telling you, if you live your life like that, you will never fully experience God's blessings in your life. If you fail to manage God's money God's way, you will never fully experience his blessings in your life. 
We have this uh, thing here at Christ Church Camden, a tool <clears throat> to help you develop that attitude, that lifestyle, that heart of generosity. It's what we call the three-month tithing challenge. And if you've been around Christ Church for even three or four months, you've heard us talk about this probably. <clears throat> it's a simple little thing. There's a card inside of your program. I'd love for you to take that out right now and look at that as I kind of explain what the three-month tithing challenge is. It's a hard challenge, let me tell you that. It's not something that is, that is easy. It's something that comes from the book of Malachi in the Bible that I really don't, I didn't have time today to really dissect. But in the book of Malachi in the Bible, there is a challenge and there's a promise. Straight from God, straight from the Lord. There is one time in the entire Bible, in 66 books in the Bible, there's one time that God says, I give you permission to test me. One time, that's it. And it's in this area of managing God's money God's way, of stewardship, of tithing. And God says, if you will test me in this, if you'll bring the tithe, which tithe literally means 10%. And if you put that in tandem with that, that passage we just read from Proverbs, what that means is, is God is saying, I want you to bring the first 10% from your paycheck and honor me with it. And friends, I'm telling you, some of you know this, some of you who have, have lived this in your lives, and you, can, you are a witness to this somehow. I don't know how. It's a mystery to me. Somehow, some way, God can take 90% of your paycheck and stretch it way, way, way farther than what you will ever do with 100% on your own. It's a mystery to me. But he wants to prove to you that he can do that when you test him. And God says, test me in this, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse. Bring 10%, and I want you to support my church, the mission of the local church. Fund the local church. We're told in Scripture and Ephesians that Jesus didn't just die on the cross for you and for me. Jesus died for his church. He died for the local church. And God's plan to fund the mission of the local church for us, that is to win, build, and send servants for Jesus Christ. God's plan. He's only got one plan. It's you and me. He does not have a plan B. His plan to fund the local church is by you and me tithing, bringing 10% from our pay and honoring him with that. Let me... Let me just present to you what we as a church could do when we all come together and we commit to managing God's money God's way. Just some simple math. If you use this as an example, let's just say, this isn't tr true actually, but let's just say that the average household income here in Camden County is $25,000 per year. A tithe, 10% off of that would be $2,500 a year. That's not... That's not all at once. That's, at, that's spread out throughout uh, the year, month by month, as you get paid, okay? Now, a quick search online, you realize that the average household income in Camden County is well over twice that much, okay? But let's just say 25000 Now, if we had 500 tithing families, 500 tithing people, which is, which is not a lot for a church our size, friends, if we had 500 who committed to tithe 10% off of uh, an average household income of $25,000, that's $2,500 per year. If you're a mathematician, you may have already done the math. That equates to $1.25 million per year. 
And I will be ruthlessly honest with you right now. It's going to be a stretch with the route that we are heading as a church right now for us to even see $800,000 by the end of this year. Now, I don't say that to beg. That's not why I'm saying that. The reason I point that out is because I want you to just imagine for a second, what could we as a church do with an extra $400,000? Can you think of that? Somebody came up uh, in between the services and came up and talked with me over uh, in Connection Point and said, what what would we do with $400,000 if we had it? Oh my goodness, I just start rattling off over and over and over. And I mean, we could do this, we could do that, we could do this. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine that? And I saw their eyes just begin to light up. Can you imagine this, friends? It's not that much when we come together as one church, as one body. It's not that much to accomplish. And most of us make a whole lot more than that. So here's how this three-month tithing challenge thing works. If you step up to the challenge today, you fill out that card. It's a two-way relationship between you and us, the leadership of the church. For you, what you are committing to is that beginning with your next paycheck, you are going to tithe 10%. 10% right off the top of your paycheck. You are going to give to God's church, to Christ Church Camden, to fund this church. And that is not to pay these guys' salaries or to keep the lights on or, or, or to keep it cool in here for, for you on a Sunday morning. That is for the mission of the church to win, build, and send servants for Jesus Christ. That's what it's for. And you commit to doing that for the next three months. Not a month, not six weeks, but three months. And here's what I believe is going to happen for you over the next three months. The evil one, Satan, is going to open up the arsenal upon you and your life. You went through that, didn't you? I know some people here who have done the three-month tithing challenge in the past. And they experienced Satan breaking out every weapon that he could. And it's like painting a big old tar. I want to scare you with this. Because it's not easy. For most people, it's not easy. Because the evil one wants you to believe that what Pastor Scotty's talking about today is a big old crock of hogwash. That this is an ancient discipline and it does not work in 2018. What God wants you to know today is that his promise still stands and he st- will still fulfill his promise in your life. That's what God wants you to understand. And the only way to... The only way to experience that is to test him. And so you're saying, I'm, I'm going I'm to bring the tithe for the next three months, every single paycheck. If you're like me, you get paid on the 1st and 15th, you get paid this week. And so that would start next weekend, okay? Here's what we're going to do. We want to come around you and, and give you a little bit of reassurance. This is how much the leadership of Christ Church Camden believes in God giving us permission to test him. That at the end of three months, if you have not experienced God's hand of provision and protection upon you in your life, listen to me now though, okay? I'm not saying that God's going to make you rich. I'm not saying that God is going to let you win the lottery next week. 
I'm not saying that somebody's going to show up in your doorstep presenting you with an inheritance from a long-lost uncle you never knew you had. God could do that if he wanted to, but that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that God is faithful, and you will experience his faithfulness to you in your life. And if you don't think that you have over those three months, at the end of those three months, not at a month or six weeks or two months, but at the end of three months, you can come back to us and we will cut you a check for every single penny that you've given to Christ Church Camden for the past three months during that tithe. That is how much we believe in the only time in the entire Bible that God says, bring it. Test me on this and watch what I can do. I've been here nine and a half years, friends. I have literally seen hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people fill out that exact card that you have in your hands. And over those nine and a half years, one person has come back and asked for their money back. And that was only a month into it. He didn't even hardly give God a chance by making it through the three months. Listen, I'm assuming most of, if not all of you know this, but I only have four weeks left with you guys. And my wife and my daughter and I are going to go plant a new church from the ground up. I do not have to stand up here and preach on money today. Nobody asked me to do this. I'm standing up here speaking about money because I believe it and I've lived it and I know that God can do the same thing for you in your life. If I didn't, I would not teach about money today and I'd be out of here in five weeks. But I love you and I care about you and I love this church and I can see it plain as day in my mind of what this church could do if the people of Christ Church truly stepped up to the tithe and began to manage God's money, God's way. That's your challenge today. Money is not the cause. Money is the cure. And it's not the cure when you get more. It's the cure when you give more. Maybe we should change the bottom line to generosity is the cure. That's what it's really about. Carlos is going to sing for just a moment. You're welcome to sing along with him and worship with him. If you're ready and willing to step up to that three-month tithing challenge, I want you to fill out that card during this time of worship.